Chris Stoner is the owner of Baltimore Sports and Life. BSL is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. Other parts of BSL include the networking events Baltimore Metro Business Development, BMBD, the business development group Paysetters, and the site Baltimore 2029, which aims to celebrate the best of Charm City as Baltimore nears its 300th anniversary. This show will be utilized for discussion on sports and Baltimore as a whole. Discuss the show at the BSL message board and check out the other BSL radio offerings. All right, welcome in. Uh, We're joined today by Jim Callis, senior writer for MLB Pipeline at MLB.com. Jim, thanks for joining us. How are you doing? I'm doing good, Chris. How are you doing? Doing great. Uh, So... Keegan Aiken and uh, Dean Kremer, they made their major league debuts this summer. Immediately behind them, we saw, uh, you know, we have Michael Ballman, if he's healthy, Zach Lofer, recently acquired Kevin Smith, Bruce Zimmerman, and Alex Wells. So a number of names uh, kind of uh, coming and on the verge here. Uh, who among that group interests you the most? Yeah, you know, I mean, the, the thing is with pitching prospects is you, they're not all going to pan out. It, it just doesn't work that way. So you want to have some depth to give you some options and give you more chances. Um, and, yeah, you know, all those guys kind of intrigue me in different ways. I mean, the, the guy the guy who intrigues me the most, I think intrigue is the perfect word, is Zach Lothar. I, I still remember Zach, I guess I want to say it's 2016, when, you know, a guy who, who kind of sits around 90 miles an hour led the Cape, I want to say led the Cape Cod League, which is Premier Amateur Summer League, in strikeouts and strikeout rate. Um and, we, you know, I was like, okay, that's pretty interesting. And they went to Xavier, and he set all the strikeout records. I think you could you could set Xavier and led the Big East in strikeouts. And he's missed a lot of bats in the big leagues. I mean, I'm mean, sorry, in, in pro ball, obviously. Um, you know, he's he's one of these guys, he's deceptive, he has extension. You know, the, the, the fastball, you know, really plays up higher than the velocity. So he's intrigued me. I think Kevin Smith is a guy who gets uh, – I, I thought that was a really good get in, in the Miguel Castro deal. I mean, this is a guy who, you know, again, it's not – you know, he, he's kind of similar to Lothar in that, you know, it's not overpowering velocity. It, you know, it's a low 90s fastball, but he also has good extension and high spin rates, and he's, he's got a slider. Um, he misses bats in, in pro ball too. You know, Dean Kramer's got a big-time curveball. You saw that. You know, Michael Bauman's a – an interesting guy, you know, Bauman's probably got better pure stuff than any of those guys. You know, Keegan Aiken, you know, has, you know, he's got, you know, more velocity than your typical left-handed starter. Um, and, uh, you know, so it's like, again, I, I don't know if any of these guys is, is going to be, you know, the the future ace of, of the, you know, playoff contending Orioles when they get to that point. But you do have some depth um, and you do see some guys you know, maybe you throw in there with the with the John Means, um, you know, maybe Jorge Lopez, you know, figure some stuff out. But, you know, you, you could see like, hey, we, we've got a number of candidates for our rotation, and I think that rotation is going to be a lot more respectable in the near future. Yeah, I think you really kind of nailed the key, kind of the stacking bodies, and right, not all of them are going to uh, uh, pan out, but hopefully through numbers you, <laughs> uh, you have some uh, that, that do. I mean, I think all of them outside of Bauman maybe have kind of been projected kind of uh, 
back of the rotation guys, but certainly uh, back of the rotation guys if they uh, that aren't costing you anything and producing that can provide a lot of value. So uh, we'll see how that works out. I guess the question for all of them and across baseball overall. Uh, you know, what do you think in terms of workload uh, going into uh, uh, 21, especially for the guys who were, you know, uh, Aiken and Kremer certainly got some major league innings. Uh, Zimmerman there right at the end got got a couple of handful, a handful. but uh, the guys that were not at the extended camp, uh, how do you think that really works for them in terms of their progression uh, going into this coming year? You know, I think this is a huge concern that, I mean, look, we're all focused on 2020, trying to get through the 2020 season, and, and it looks like that's going to happen, which I'll admit, you know, frankly, you know, after the Cardinals got sick and the heels of the Marlins getting sick, I didn't think we were going to get this far. And then we're going to look ahead to 2021. And I think a huge concern, you know, aside from the pandemic, is, is what do you do with pitchers? I mean, any pitcher. I, I, I honestly don't know the question to what you do with workloads. I mean, we know teams try to manage pitcher workloads very carefully for prospects. And even if you were in alt camp, I mean, you weren't replicating what it would have been like, you know, pitching every fifth day for several months. Um, and, you know, we know from a development standpoint, teams typically don't try to add more than, say, 30, maybe 40 innings tops to a pitcher's workload from one to the next. You know, if it's a high school pitcher, like a, you know, like a Grayson Rodriguez, for, for instance, you know, you know he, he comes out of high school, you know, he pitches a little bit in pro ball. You know his his debut summer. Then he pitched 95 innings last year, which is you know typically the upper limit of what you do with a guy coming out of high school. And he probably would have pitched you know say 125, 130 innings this year. Well, I mean, uh, you know even if he got some innings in alt camp and he gets some innings in instructional league, it's not the same. I I don't think you could take him to 130 innings, or I don't know if you could take him to 130 innings. At some point, you're gonna have to shut him down. You know, so then he can have a little time off and then and then go into his off-season program, get ready for spring training. So I, I don't know what teams are going to do to handle this. Um, you know, even at the major league level, you know, you take yeah. a guy like John Means. He threw 43 innings next year. Can John Means throw 170 innings next year after throwing 43 this year? I, I don't even know the answer to that question. Like, yeah, I'm uh, very curious to wind up, see if they wind up with extended rosters again. At, at, yeah, I, I think they're going to have to. But even if they do, like if we go from a 60-game season to 162-game season, right. like even if – like let's say he goes to 150 innings. Can, can he go from 43 to 150 innings? And, you know, all these guys – you know, how about older guys? Like if you're a – say a Max Scherzer on the Nationals who, who's, you know, pitching pretty much 180, 200 innings plus every year with the playoffs – and I don't even know how many innings Max Scherzer pitched off the top of my head this year. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm looking it up as we speak. You know, Max Scherzer pitched 67 innings next year. Can he go up to 200 next year, or is that going to break him? And, and I think this is a major concern for baseball. I think even at the amateur level, you know, your college pitchers didn't pitch much. Are they going to be able to go out and pitch, you know, 80, 90 innings in college next spring? Uh, I don't know. Um, so I don't think anybody knows the answer to this question. I, I do think we'll have expanded rosters. But if we, let's say we go to a 162-game season, I, I don't know what major league pitchers are going to do. I, I do think there's a good chance, Chris. I mean, and none of this is official yet. I, it's just kind of more hearsay and guys talking around the water cooler. I would assume, again, not not going to claim to be a doctor, that even you know when we get a vaccine, it, 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 like vaccines, not going to instantaneously solve COVID. You know, that's going to take months. And I think we're going to be dealing with COVID, you know, at least into some portion of the season next year. I would suspect 
that they're going to be, do everything they can to protect players to have a 162-game Major League season try to get revenues back up. So we're not going to see spring training as normal, I wouldn't think. You're not going to see teams having a bunch of players, a bunch of prospects and minor leaguers in early. I think what you're going to probably see – uh, and again, teams have, have said they, they kind of anticipate this too. You're going to have Major League Camp is going to be your 40-man roster, your non-roster invitees, a a smaller section a selection of staffers. And there's going to be none of this, oh, we've got 50 minor leaguers hanging around and coming back and forth to fill spots. I think you're going to have a very uh, buttoned-down big league camp. And then when the big league camp is done and those guys are out of there and they go off to start the minor league season – I mean, the Major League season, that minor league spring training, instead of starting in March, might start at the end of March, and the major, minor league season might not start until, say, the beginning of May. And I'll be honest, in some ways, I think that makes sense. Going to, like, a 140-game minor league season after having a zero-game minor league season, from a pitching standpoint, I think is going to be difficult. And if it was more like a 110- or 115-game minor league season, that would alleviate some of that. But... um. Long answer to your question, but I but I'm actually quite concerned, and I'm not trying to profess to be an expert, as to how pitching is going to hold up. And we already saw it happen this year in the major leagues. More pitchers got hurt in a shorter seat in a shorter time than normally would, you know, because spring training was all you know messed up. Where people left, and then we had summer camp, and it wasn't usual. I think going from a 60 game major league season to 162 game major league season. And going from a zero-game minor league season, you know, alternate site training and instructional league, to a you know hundred-plus game minor league season, I, I don't think any of us know how that's going to affect pitching. But it's it's going to be a huge concern. Yeah, a couple of great points there, Jim. Really, just the idea that COVID is going to impact in the next year, even if you do have vaccine distribution, is going to take uh, time. Uh, there is questions of how pitching will be impacted at all levels. Also, questions of what the minor league is going to going to look like. So. A number of different questions to be sorted out, so uh, you framed that well. You did bring up uh, specifically Grayson Rodriguez, so I was going to get to uh, him later, but we'll just bring him and uh, all up now. So as you mentioned, Rodriguez, 94, 95 innings and in 19 at uh, low A Delmarva. Hall had 81 innings and in 19 at Frederick. Both had time at the alternate training site this summer, but as you said, it's it's not uh, quite the same, even if you're trying to replicate game uh uh, situations. So specifically with those two, uh, what would you do in terms of their their development in 21? Yeah, no, I was gonna say, you know, one thing I was just thinking about too with the Orioles, the way they have their their minor their their spring set up, they might be in a little bit more advantageous spot than other teams because, as you know, their minor league complex is separate from the major league ballpark in spring training. So just getting back to my last question, they could probably bring guys in for minor league spring training. Like a lot of teams just have, you know, the, the one site, you know, where they share a locker room. The Orioles actually could probably do that a little bit differently. So they might be able to, to bring minor leaguers in earlier than other teams, although obviously you're not going to start the season if the Orioles are ready and other teams aren't. Um, with both those guys, you know, you know, I haven't talked specifically to the Orioles about this, I do know from talking to the teams that I have talked about alternate site training and you had young pitchers in there, it's not the same as going out and pitching 120 innings or so like both those guys would have done this year. But there is an advantage. One benefit from the alternate site is is that with Grayson Rodriguez and Dale Hall, they're facing older hitters that they wouldn't. You know, Grayson Rodriguez is facing better hitters than he would have faced in high class A last year. You know, Dale Hall's facing, you know, not just double A hitters where he would have gone, but also you know, triple A and big league caliber hitters. So, you know, I think 
you know, it, it's going to depend. Your pitchers are probably different than hitters. It's going to be different. But I, I don't think you necessarily have to say, well, you know, Grayson missed a whole year. He probably would have spent 2020 in high A. So he's going to be in high A for all 2021. Now, you know, I think with pitchers, you might handle them a little bit more carefully. So maybe Grayson goes to high A to start 2020 at one, and D.L. Hall goes to double A to start 2021. But I also think if they show that they're handling those levels quickly, then maybe you promote them a little quicker than you would have maybe done in 2020 with the last year. You know, I, I think, I guess I'm kind of looking at this in general, and obviously every prospect's going to be different. You have to look at it individually. But in general, the guys who are able to go to alternatives camps, the guys who are able to go to instructional league, you know, which I think is going to be more intensive than it normally would be because you aren't, you know, you, especially with the pitchers, you aren't having guys who, who just pitched a whole season that – Instead of maybe losing a year, maybe these guys lost half a year. And, you know, I, I don't think I, I don't think the general attitude for the Orioles or any team is going to be, "Hey, we're throwing up our arms. We lost 2020, so we're just going to start." You know, like everybody's a year behind where we thought they'd be. I think it's going to be more for the guys who are able to do some things this year. It's probably going to be more like you know, they, maybe they lost half a year, if, if that makes sense. In a recent interview with Mass and Steve Molesky, you talked about uh, the recently acquired Taryn uh, Vavra being one of your sleeper prospects in the 18 draft and seeing him as a second baseman going forward. Uh, he had a big 19 in the South Atlantic League. Uh, just some thoughts on him, and uh, do you see him kind of beginning 21 at like a double-A level? Yeah, you know, I was going to say, you know, as you start asking me the question, Chris, that he's exactly what I was just talking about. I mean, we're talking about, I mean, here's a guy who's going to be – 23 at the start of next season, turned 24 in May. College player, you know, advanced guy. You know, this guy grew up around his game. He, his father is Tigers hitting coach. He's got two brothers who played pro ball. Um, I think he was South Atlantic League MVP in 2019. Um, but, you know, this is a guy that, like, I don't think you're just going to say, oh, well, you know, he didn't get to play high A. You know, I would think he's got a chance to go to double A. I mean, the other thing to remember, too, is, you know, teams are going to have to cut a bunch of players. We have a new minor league setup coming. You're only going to have 175 players, I believe, uh, you know, based in America. There's going to be a limit. You're going to have fewer minor league teams. I mean, all the full season teams will still be there. But they're going to, you know, you're by necessities going forward, you're going to have to move players at a faster pace because, you're, you know, as you sign new players, you're going to have to cut guys to make room for them, um, which was true before, but now it's mandated. You can't have more than 175 guys you know, uh, you know, on U.S. rosters, you know, and, and you're going to have to deal with that. But, yeah, I, I really do like Taron. This guy, he, he can really just really hit. Um, switch hitter, makes contact, barrels the ball consistently. I don't think he's going to be a slugger per se, but I think he's a 15 to 20 homer guy. He's one of these guys who outside the bat, it's probably average-ish tools. That's why I think he's more of a second baseman than a shortstop. But um, you know, he just you know, he grew like like a lot of guys who grew up around the game. He just gets you know more out of his tools than you know. He's not going to be you know a 40 stolen base guy, but with average speed, he could steal bases. He gets to balls. He 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 really knows how to control the strike zone. And I do think this is a guy who's going to move rapidly. Um, it, it wouldn't surprise me if at some point in, in 2022 he he's a regular second baseman. And and you know the thing is, you know I don't know. You know, I think Jose Iglesias is a free agent. You know, I, I don't know who their their shortstop, uh, you know, is going to even be next year. It wouldn't shock me if Taron Vavra, you know, is that kind of steady, makes plays at shortstop for a couple of years before transitioning to second base. I, I, I really do like him. I, I thought they did a nice job, you know, and, you know, it's not like they were trading – 
you know, Manny Machado last year or, you know, anything. They had that kind of ammunition. But but to get a Terran Vavra, um, you know, and even a, a Tyler Nevin in that Michael Gibbons trade, or, or to get Kevin Smith from Miguel Castro, I, I thought those were really, really good pickups. Yeah, they added uh, further depth to the uh, organization as a whole. Iglesias as a team option probably picked up. Uh, just one final thought on Vavra. The, the glove-wise, you think uh, he can be averageish at uh, second? Yeah, maybe even a little bit better than that. I mean, because I mean, I think his his arm and his range, um, you know, at shortstop are kind of average. Um, and you know, an average arm at shortstop, probably, you know, it, it sounds weird, but that probably doesn't get the job done. Most of your your shortstops have have you know at least solid to plus arms, you know, and more range. But I do think at second base, I mean, he might even be a little bit above average defender at second base, just because the instincts are good. He's reliable. He's got good hands. You know, the arm. You know, obviously, it's shorter throws. Um, so I, I think he could definitely play second. You know, I think shortstop, you know, on a contending team, it would probably be more of that uh, kind of fill-in type of thing. Like, like I don't think you necessarily would run him out there for 100 and, you know, 20, you know, 130 games at shortstop. But I think, you know, he, he could play there, you know, on a, you know, on a, on a fill-in basis. About uh, quick takes on a couple other middle infielders, Ryland Bannon and Adam Hall. What do the Orioles have for those two? Of those two, who do you like better? Um, I like Adam Hall probably a little bit better, um, you know, because I think he's got more defensive versatility than Ryland Bannon. Um, you know, Bannon has played second, you know, might be more of a third baseman just from a, a, a quickness standpoint. Um, I, I think he's a good third baseman. I think, I think he can play second, whereas Hall, I think, you know, has, you know, more range. He's quicker. He, he could play short. He could play third. He could definitely play second. So I, I like Hall from from that standpoint. You know, offensively they they've both been up and down a little bit. Um, I think Bannon's got more power. Um, you know, there is some swing and miss there. Um, Adam Hall, I think, has got a better chance to to hit for average. He's got to tighten up the strike zone a little bit. He he's also significantly younger than Bannon. He's about three years younger. So I I, I just like. I mean, this is kind of a cop out, Chris. I mean, it's easy to say, but I mean, Hall's probably got higher. Higher ceiling. Bannon's got a higher floor, um, but you know, I, I think we'll see them both in Baltimore at some point. I, you know, I don't know if, if either one of those guys will necessarily be regulars. Um, you know, I, to me, Vavra would be the second baseman of the future. Um, you know, they've invested heavily in shortstops in the last two drafts with, with Gunnar Henderson and Jordan Westberg. I, I would suspect that one of them is probably your, your shortstop of the future. And it's also possible that whichever one isn't the shortstop, whether it's Westberg or if it's Henderson, slides over to third base. I mean, if, I, if I'm guessing right now, that's how I would see the infield lining up for the future. Yeah, with Bannon in the hall, there's some thought uh, that the Orioles might not uh, bring back Hanser Alberto for uh, 21, and there could be uh, major league at bats available in 21 for Bannon in the hall. But, yeah, certainly – Looking forward, uh, you know, and to your last point there, the Elias regime, the last two drafts, they've added Henderson, they've added Westberg, uh, Servideo, uh, Mayo, uh, yeah. Hernandez, uh, you know, so they've added a lot of uh, positional talent, uh, and we'll see where they kind of sort out going forward. But uh, kind of with that, of that group of those guys, who who do you like most? Oh, I, I'd say, I mean, I think it's kind of they were the highest picks, but I'd say Henderson and Westbrook. You know, I, I thought Henderson was a little um, like overshadowed. I guess the best way to put it, you know, when they had the number one overall pick and they took Adley Rutschman. You know, and Adley Rutschman's the best catching prospect. I mean, quite literally, I've ever seen. 
Um, and he drew a lot of attention that it overshadowed Henderson. But, I mean, Henderson was a potential first-round pick. I think he's going to hit for power and average. You know, he kind of gets some physical and, and, and some, some baseball comparisons to Corey Seager a little bit. I'm not saying he's going to be that good. But, like, you've got he's got that kind of upside. He's left-handed hitter. You know, maybe able to stay short. I mean, he's kind of big. You know, he's already 6'3". He's going to fill out. I mean, it's probably easier to project him at third. Although, um, again, and I'm not saying he's Corey Seager. Everybody said that about Corey Seager. Everybody says that about these 6'3 shortstops. And it seems like you see more and more of them. So I, I like him the best. I, I, I do like Westberg, too. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, Westberg, you know, it, it's hard to compare a high school guy to a college guy. I was going to say Westberg, you know, there are times where he, where he, he swings and misses. He's not the most consistent hitter, but I mean, you're talking about a potential 25 homer shortstop. Um, I think he's a little quicker than Henderson. Eh, they might be comparable, so he might be a, a, a little a, a tick quicker than Henderson. Maybe a little better chance to stay at shortstop, but I mean, I, you can look at both those guys, and I think it's pretty easy to project those guys as, as big league regulars. And uh, Servideo, kind of quick thoughts on maybe him and Mayo. Servideo, uh, you look at him more as a uh, second baseman going forward, or, or uh, kind of compare him with Westberg and, and and how you see those those two going forward. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think he's a legit shortstop. I, I, if I had to pick, if you had to pick one of those guys, if we're if we're just guessing, I think Servideo is a better defender than shortstop. So I, I think Servideo has got a better chance to play shortstop. It's just <laughs> the the problem, uh, not the problem, but like the question with Servideo is. Like, which Servideo is he? I mean, this is a guy, I mean, he, he, he didn't play shortstop his first couple of years because, you know, the, the Rebels had Gray Kessinger. But I think he's a better defender than Gray Kessinger. Gray Kessinger was a little bit more famous and got there first, so he was the shortstop. The question is, which Anthony Servideo are you getting offensively? I mean, he literally, in the Cape Cod League last year, or, you know, in, in 2019, which is, you know, Wood Bat League, it, it, it's like the best proven ground for college baseball. He hit 149 with no power. I mean, he literally put up the worst numbers in the Cape Cod League. And then he came out, and, you know, in, in the month of college baseball was played, and, you know, they never got to SEC play. He hit 390 with power, and he, he squared up Reed Detmers, who, who went 10th overall in the draft when they played Louisville. So it's like, okay. <laughs> Which Anthony Servideo? Now, I don't think Anthony Servideo is as bad as he was in the Cape. I also don't think he's this guy who, who hit 390 with an almost 700 slugging percentage in the spring. You know, I think he's going to be more of an on-base guy who, who can run. Um, you know, talking to scouts, you know, he's not big. I mean, there is some sneaky pop in there. I think that the swing gets big at some points. Um, you know, to be honest, I mean, he's probably better off focusing on getting on base and, and you know, and you know, and letting whatever power he has come naturally. But um, you know he's, I, I'll be, I like he's one of those guys. I mean, I guess I guess it's about a bunch of guys. <laughs> we didn't have a minor league season this year, Chris. I, I'm curious to see how he does next year because it, it was he was a hard guy to figure out because literally if you saw him on the Cape, you would never have taken him in a five round draft. And if you saw him in the spring, I mean he he ranked second in NCAA uh, NCAA Division One in walks. He hit five homers. Uh, this year in about 20 games after hitting four homers in his first 100 college games. So, like I said, I, I'm really curious, like, how is he really going to play with wood bats? I, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that next year. Going back to the arms, uh, a couple other interesting arms in the system. you got Drew Rahm, uh, 25th rounder, Carter uh, uh, Ballmer. Um, I yep. butcher, butchering the name. Uh, Zach Pop returning from injury, and then uh, Hanafi. Uh yeah, just that group there. Uh, anybody that that really jumps out to you that you uh, you like? 
Were you talking about Baumler from this year's draft, or? Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess. I mean, I'd say Baumler the most. I mean, just because he's so projectable. I mean, you know, obviously what they did with the draft. I know there was kind of some shock. I think in Baltimore that they didn't take Austin Martin out of Vanderbilt and they took Heston Kerstad and they they saved money and they, and they signed Carter Baumler and and Kobe Mayo with the, with the leftover money. Um, you know, he's super projectable guy. You know, very athletic. You know, didn't get to pitch much this spring because he was in Iowa. They didn't have, you know, they, they don't. Their high school season starts later, but just because of the weather, they didn't really start like their kind of, you know, preseason, you know, league. And he didn't get to pitch a whole lot, but he's got a clean delivery and arm action. Um, got a chance to, you know, have a plus fastball and plus curveball when all is said and done. So I kind of like him, you know. And Rom's another. Another guy, high school guy, you know, over slot, you know, kind of similar background to, to, to Baumler. You know, he was a fourth round pick two years ago. Baumler was a fifth rounder this year, over slot guy. You know, we got to go out and see him pitch. He he pitched very well, in 2019. You know, he, you know, I think he doesn't quite have quite as much stuff as Baumler, um, but you know, he, he's got some polish to him. You know, it'll be interesting to see how he develops. You know, he's obviously a lefty. Baumler's a righty. So kind of a forgotten man here in Baltimore, but I'm anticipating uh, Yosniel Diaz ascending to the Orioles by late May. Uh, his 19 season was kind of uh, a little uninspiring, but he was dealing with leg injuries a large portion of the year. But uh, he's certainly, he seems to have returned to health, and the latest reports on him seem to be pretty encouraging. I think he's really basically a strong spring training and a couple months of production uh, next year away from <laughs> making his way to the majors. You know, what do you think the Royals have of him? That's a good question. Um, you know, the first time I saw using El Diaz was in Dodgers camp in a, in a, in a B game. And he got a couple hits off Chris Sale. Um, when I don't, even, I don't even know if he had any pro experience at that point. That might've been his first spring training. You know, I mean, He's had kind of a, an odd career where at times, you know, he was a top 100 prospect. He was obviously in the Manny Machado trade. You know, at one point, you know, he looked like, you know, this might be a, a guy who, who might be, you know, 25 homers, 25 steal center fielder. I don't think he's as quick as he was once projected to be. You know, he's had some ups and downs at the plate. I mean, I, I still think, you know, he could be a regular. Um, he's probably more of a corner guy than a center fielder now. Um, you know, he's probably a guy who bats, eh, you know, probably more fifth or sixth in the lineup than in the top of your lineup. But I mean, there's some talent there and I agree with you. I think we'll see him in the big leagues next year. Um, my guess is he'll probably get, you know, it would make sense to give him some triple a time. Cause he, he really, ha he's never played in triple a, um, you know, you do that. Hey, lo and behold, you can, uh, you know, get an extra year of free agency control over him if you do that too. So I, I would suspect he'll open the year in triple a and, and we'll see him at some point, um, you know, during the season, uh, you know, if, you know, it depends, you know, I, I guess some of it depends too. Like I, you, you would know better than me, Chris. I don't know when Trey Mancini's coming back. Um, I guess yeah, you... th there is there is thought Mancini. I mean, it, it remains to be seen. But I think most people anticipate Mancini will be with the Orioles to, to start the year. But they I, wanna... I guess you DH him. I mean, maybe to ease him back. Yeah, I, I was just going to yeah, say. Yeah, I mean, they, they Mount... ultimately want to be moving him to first or DH and get right. Him and, and I was just going to say, like, you know, the thing is, if Diaz isn't a center fielder, 
you know, well, you got Mountcastle and you got Santander, um, you know, and even if you think you can play center, you know, you want to see what Austin Hayes can do. You know, Cedric Mullins, you know, has been, you know, you know, had some ups and downs, but he shows some talent too. I mean, the one thing they actually have is, I mean, even if we, let's count Mancini as a DH, I mean, you still have, you know, DJ Stewart even shows some signs of life. So, I mean, you have yep. kind of five outfielders who, yeah, you know, the, showed some stuff have... in the big league. So, like, where do you play Diaz? necessarily too i like i think they're still trying to sort those guys out and you know like i said if, if he's yeah. a corner outfielder I, I don't know how you could bench Mountcastle or santander right now so that's a little bit of an issue too so, uh, I, I guess the way i see it playing out is i have um i figure to start the year for the Orioles, you've got uh hayes in center santander in uh right and left field being shared by Mountcastle and stewart mostly Mountcastle. uh and then Mancini at uh, uh, first. And, yeah, I, f- I figure the Orioles probably move Nunez, so maybe there's DH bats available for Stewart. Yeah. Uh, but then I figure by May, if if uh, if Diaz has earned his promotion at that point, then you're probably looking for uh, Mountcastle to uh, share first and DH with Mancini and Diaz to take over and left. But that's... Yeah, you know, we'll see. Uh, as you said, they got a number of different options, and it depends on what level of production that <laughs> you know across the diamond what you're seeing there. Uh, so you mentioned it previously. The Orioles' first round pick here in twenty, obviously, was uh, Kershad, an advanced college bat. What's a what's a realistic time frame for him? Um, you know, I'll be honest. Like I know he was not at the alternate site, right? Like there's something going on. He was on. not, and it, you know there is a undisclosed medical condition and that I don't believe he's at the, uh, uh, the facility now getting also additional time. So, right? yeah, I was going to say, so it's kind of unclear. I mean, we could, I mean, I'm not going to, sp- I mean, we could all kind of guess what that might right. be, but mm-hmm. yeah. But in any case, like, you know, I mean, even if let's say he didn't have this condition, it's not like he, you know, I mean, it would have been nice. I and mean, yes, you would have liked to have him an alternate site, but it's not like he missed out on playing 60 games in a ball. I mean, my guess is, is that he'll move pretty quickly. I mean, this is a guy who, who produced from day one in the, in the Southeastern conference, which is the best conference in college baseball. Um, he, he broke the school freshman record of, with, with 14 home runs and hit 17 as a sophomore. Got off to a great start this year. I think he's going to move pretty quickly. You know, as I was saying before, I think people, like, there was, like, some fans, I mean, I got a lot of tweets saying, like, what's going on here? Like, how can they take this guy? And, you know, he wasn't, I, I mean, I think it was a little misleading. I think we had him ranked ninth, Chris, in the draft, our draft rankings, if, if I remember correctly. But, like, I tell people, like, I really think 6-10 to 10 was pretty even, and he wasn't that far off the top five. I mean, this is a guy who, I, you know, I think the top of the draft was a little deeper this year than normal. In a normal draft, he, he would have been ranked even a little bit higher. This wasn't like they, they punted on talent. They, they went for a guy who was the best left-handed power hitter in the draft, a guy who has a lot of track record. Um, I, I think he's going to move pretty quick. My, my guess, I wouldn't be surprised, I guess, if we saw him in, assuming we have a normal 2021 minor league season or, or mostly normal, even if you know maybe they start a little bit late. I, I, I would kind of guess that we see him in double-A by the end of next year and in Baltimore by the end of 2022, you know, unless you get into service time. Yeah, that's, you know, that's, that's kind of what I was thinking. Uh, you know, if he can finish uh... – 21 and double a i mean he's well positioned going forward 
even if he's in high A and uh, next year, maybe a half a year in 22 in double A, he can still move fairly uh, pretty quick there. So, of course, uh, and we'd also, you'd also touched on Rutschman, you know, so like Rodriguez and Hall, he spent the summer at the alternate training site. 19, you're talking about 39 at bats at Delmarva. Um, but an advanced college bat, obviously a hyped prospect, a catcher. To me, it's going to be shocking if he's not up for good by May 22. Yeah. You know, but again, you have the service time consider. I mean, right. my it, guess it, with him is, yeah. you, you know, the, the, you know, I mean, cause look, he was in big league camp. He got alternative site training time. He, he, I, I assume he's instructional. I haven't looked at that roster. Yeah. Um, my guess is that he'll probably start next year in double A. Um, like, I don't, you know, I know he lost a year, but like, I don't think you have to say, well, he's never played high A. Let's send him there. Um, I, I really think with him that the, the tough thing's going to be <sighs> slowing him down. Like, like I mean, like, I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that Ali Rutschman could go to double A and, and force promotion triple A, you know, and hit, you know, 320 with a bunch of power and look great behind the plate. And, I mean, if we're just talking from a pure talent standpoint uh, i think you i mean they're not going to do this for obvious reasons because it wouldn't make sense like he i mean honestly he's probably the best catcher in the organization right now like like if you were trying to win as many games as possible in 2021 i know he hasn't played above low a you could make a case for just putting him in your lineup a catcher um he's going to be that good um but yeah i i think it's 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 the, the toughest thing with him i think is just going to be Avoiding the temptation to rush him, which I which I think they will. I mean, there, there's service time benefits to not rushing him, so I I think we'll. I, I, my anticipation is he'll start next year in Double A. I think he'll have a big year in the minors, and then I think in 2022 in the spring we'll be having this discussion of, hey, should he make the team out of spring training? And you know, hey, you know, yeah, Adley's no got to work no on tying his shoes a little control. bit better, right. <laughs> and he's going to spend you know four weeks right. at AAA to delay his free agency. But um, yeah, yeah I mean, I, I mean, look, I, I don't know if there's really such a thing as a can't miss prospect because can't miss guys do miss. But when you look at Adley Rutschman, I, I don't, I mean, I don't know what the negative would be. I mean, this is a guy who who's a switch hitter. With a great approach at the plate, he hits for power, he hits for average, he draws walks. I mean, I had a, I had a scouting director say, look, even if he couldn't catch, you know, you might be talking about a Mark Teixeira offensive player. And then he's a gold glove, you know, type of catcher, strong arm, great receiving, tremendous makeup. Uh, you know, I, 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 I'll put it this way. If he if he misses, I, I don't, you know, I don't know how that would happen unless he, you know, got, you know just had horrible injury luck because I, I just don't see any weaknesses with this guy. So just one follow-up there. So let's say Rutschman is productive at um, in the minors, but not lighting the world on fire. Uh, it, do you see any reason that he wouldn't be up by, you know, once you've gained that additional service time in 22, that uh, uh, – especially counting the idea that he's a catcher and, you know, maybe they only have so much time, uh, you know, so you want to, you want to make sure that you're maximizing his, uh, his time and tenure at the major league level. Uh, I, I just, for me, I just can't imagine a scenario. We've been debating it on our board of when, when he might ascend to the majors. And for me, it just, you know, 
it, it's just really hard to envision what scenario would have to take place for him not to be part of the Orioles by, you know, May 22. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe they get cute and they play with his arbitration too, and so you keep him out, you know, for a couple months. But, like, like I, I just I, – I don't think they're going to be able to do that with a straight face. You know, I think I think it's going to be like a Chris Bryant situation where even in, in the spring of 2022, like, nobody's going to buy – you know, like or like with Vlad Guerrero Jr. in Toronto, like nobody's gonna buy that the guy's not gonna be ready. I, I'm with you. I mean, he would have to struggle mightily, and I just don't see that happening. I, I also, I mean, honestly, uh, I don't really think they're going to contend per se next year. But I also could see. I, I mean, I'm not saying it would make the most sense from a surf time standpoint. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that he's up by the end of next year. If he just tears up the minors and he's clearly their best catcher, they, you know, and they see some optimism for the future. And let's say, I'm just making this up because I don't know what the answer is. But let's say internally, the Orioles have targeted 2023 is when they're going to think they're going to end. If Rutschman just goes out and destroys the minors next year, why not call him up in August and start his acclimation process to the big leagues and then you don't play games with them in 2022 and you're ready to go in 2023. I mean, I, I, I do think it makes the most sense to delay his service time and call him up in May or whatever, 2022. I, I'm with you. But, yeah, I, I, I have a hard time coming up with a scenario where, where, where that wouldn't happen. I mean, I, to me, the only way that would happen, Chris, would be if he got hurt. Like, you know, let's say he yeah. you know, broke a thumb or a foul tip or something. Like, I, I just don't see how this guy's not going to come out and produce because, I mean, the approach is so good, too. Like, like it, it, it's not like, okay, he's got, you know, 35 home run power, but they're swing and miss, and he hasn't played above A ball, and he barely played an A ball, and maybe he'll get exploited double A. I mean, this guy's got a great approach. I mean... Yeah, I like, I like the way, way you think there, Jim, and, you know, my thought with the top prospects, uh, you know, uh, in terms of bringing them up, and obviously it depends on a number of factors and where you are as a team. But if you're getting to a point where you're trying to contend and these are your better players, then, then I would like to have them up. And if you want them, and if you value them enough, then go out and buy, buy their arbitration years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And well, and I think, too, you know, I mean, he's a catcher. This isn't yeah. a guy who's playing first base or left field like 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 catching at the big league level i mean that's a learning process too so i you know i am with you if i had to if i had to bet target a month and a in a in a year you know i would i would basically say you know as soon as his free agent eligibility is delayed and you know here's the other thing too 2022 we're gonna have a new cba so there may be a new system you know, as to, you know, that, that doesn't allow for manipulation of service time. So we'll see. But, like, it, it honestly, this guy's so good, Chris. If you told me he's up in Baltimore in July of, of 2021, I, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility either. Well, that brightens the morning, Jim. So last question there for you. Uh, instead of having been eligible to sign this past July, the top international players have to wait until January 15th, 21, to sign and no uh, your colleagues uh, there uh, work on the international side. I'm not going to ask you to ask any specific names, but just in general, uh, the Orioles are trying to make inroads of Elias in terms of what they're doing internationally. They did more this past year than, frankly, they ever have. The system now is a top 10 overall system. Uh, you know, if the Orioles could add some top-end international talent, you know, what's the, the ceiling for the system going forward? This coming year? Yeah, I mean, I don't think, you know, in terms of, like, guys they'll sign, you know, starting January 15th, 
you know, I don't think there's a guy they're going to sign that would move the needle in terms of their current ranking. I, th- I want to say I think we have them um, eighth on our, our our minor league system rankings right now. You know, there's you know they they've got better depth than they've had. They also have some some high end talent. But look, it, it's no secret that for years and years and years, um, they didn't sign international guys. Like like they were the one team that almost never signed international guys. And you just can't do that. I mean, you look at all the international stars in baseball, you, you, you're really killing the system by not doing that. And I think the fact that they're going to get involved, you know, and, and the problem is, too, you know, as you, I know you know this, Chris, like when Michael Elias came in and like, okay, we're going to change that. We, we, we you know, we, we, we can't do that. You know, and, and I'll say I don't think that was a Dan Duquette decision. I think that was a decision above his head in, in some respects. Um, it's been a Peter Angelos decision yeah. that, that, you know, it's just baffling for, yeah. for 25 years, which yeah. has killed the system. You can't, the system. <laughs> you, you can't ignore all that. You look at like, like, Hey, like we aren't going to sign Fernando Tatis or Vladimir Guerrero. Not that right. they initially had those individual guys, but they, they, they weren't signing anybody. And the problem is too, it's not like you can just come in, Michael, let come and say, okay, Hey, we're going to sign international guys because all the international guys are locked up two, three years in advance. So when Michael Elias comes in and says, okay, we're going to, we're going to be active internationally. Well, all the best players for the next couple of years are already attached to teams. So it's, I think it's really going to be, Probably the 2021-2022 period, when which start to see inroads. Uh, uh, where, where they start yeah. getting super. Like I know the the guy the, the guy the guy that they're supposed to sign. I think the best guy is number 29 on our current international top 30. The, the shortstop named Maycole Hernandez, uh, who who's interesting. He's he's a projectable young shortstop. But yeah, I I, I do think that you know. I mean, hey, hey, I I know you know we we can't under we can't overstate this enough. Choosing not to sign international players is just such a handicap. So the fact that you're actually now going to sign them and be in the market for them, and theoretically is you know they they're picking toward the top of the draft. They're going to have one of the bigger international bonus pools, so they're going to be attractive to teams. As well as the fact that hey, we're rebuilding. You're going to get a chance to play here quicker than you might in other places. Um, yeah, it, it's going to be. Really important, and, and I mean, you look, uh, you know, we, I, I've talked about this before. You know, uh, you know, the, the who's the best guy they got in the Manny Machado trade? We talked about him. He's using El Diaz, a player they wouldn't have signed themselves. And I'm I'm looking at our top thirty, and using El Diaz is the only international player in our top twenty-eight on our top thirty. You know, they, Luis Ortiz, who's an international guy, they signed um, under Mike Elias. You know, you know, a four hundred thousand dollar guy, which isn't a huge international bonus. It kind of reflects that most of the top international guys were tied up in two thousand nineteen. But like our our highest Orioles signed international player on their top thirty is number twenty nine. Um, and without looking through all thirty teams while I talk to you, that that's got to be the lowest by far of anybody. Yeah, it's amazing trying to operate with one hand tied behind your back at all, at all times. Uh, I mean, just but, looking in the division, just by comparison, the Red Sox, their their highest international ranked guy is four. The Yankees, it's one. It's Jason Dominguez. The the Rays, it's one. It's uh, you know the the best uh, international prospect or best prospect in the game. Uh, you know, in Wander Franco, and you know the Blue Jays. You know, it used to be Vlad Guerrero who got promoted. But it's still, you know, number six. I mean, everybody else, and, you know, and they, all these teams have multiple international guys, and the Orioles have one guy on their list that they sign internationally at number 29. Jim, kept you much, much longer than I anticipated. Apologies for that, but do uh, appreciate your expertise. Thanks for all the uh, 
uh, thoughts this morning. Where can people find you on Twitter? Yeah, no, it's great talking to you, Chris. It's, I, I'm on Twitter at uh, Jim Callis, uh, MLB, J-I-M-C-A-L-L-I-S-M-L-B. I try to tweet um, everything I write, a lot of stuff we do at Pipeline. You know, all my stuff's at MLBpipeline.com. And my, my, the, the plug I always put in is everything on our site's free, which I, I think is nice. All our scattering reports, our video, our stories, our analysis, none of it's behind a paywall. Obviously, we work for MLB.com. They're trying to grow the game. But you can check all that stuff out for free. Um, you know, our Orioles top 30s up there. Um, I know Jonathan Mayo just the other day did an Orioles kind of instructional league update, so people can check that out too. Thank you, Jim. Thanks again. Uh, uh, pre again, my appreciation, and uh, take care, man. You too. Thanks, Chris.